With summer just around the corner and the sun starting to beat down, running hats are the perfect protection to keep you cool and focused on your miles. And Running Warehouse has everything you need. We've tested several hats over the years at Doctors of Running and have really enjoyed two brands in particular, CLA and Fractal. If you like a slim, sleek hat with all the color options, CLA's Go Caps are ultralight, airy, and have really great lockdown. For those who want a wider fit, you may want to check out the caps from Fractal, which have more coverage and a solid UPF 50+, plus to keep you protected from the sun. Whether you decide to run with CLA or Fractal this summer, you can find both today at Running Warehouse. Visit the link in the description to find our reviews of each brand and find the right cap for your next run. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to the Doctors of Running podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and science of running and the stuff that we put on our feet. Very exciting day today. We have a packed roundtable with Andrea, David, Matthew, and myself. We have a full four people ready to talk. Um, we are, we're, it's fun. We're actually recording on Memorial Day, and usually our schedules don't line up to do this, but we're recording midday on a Monday and we're all together. So everybody, thanks for joining because this, this should be a lot of fun to talk with everybody together. It doesn't happen a lot. So what we're going to be doing is actually a really fun topic. And it's one that is about a specific population of people. But at the same time, the concepts that come into this also apply to when you are changing the type of stimulus that's being put on your body. So the topic of the day is talking about youth athletes. Um, what implications are there regarding sports specialization, especially in the climate right now that pushes kids to specialize in sports very, very early? We're going to talk about what the science says behind the risks and the potential benefits. Um, spoiler alert, a lot more risks uh, behind that. Um, we're also going to be talking about then high school training and running, looking at profile risks of injuries based on your age and how that differs from being a youth athlete all the way up to master's runners. And then we're going to be talking about collegiate running as well. And just some of the are drawing from our own personal experiences of being high school and college athletes, as well as for someone like myself who didn't run in high school or college um, competitively, what's it like for me working clinically with people? So if you are a parent, if you are a coach, if you are somebody who knows kids who are in the running sphere, or if you know a running coach, like your high school coach, this would be a great episode to share with them to just hear some thoughts about what the evidence actually says about what is good for your athletes to help them be healthy and actually perform their best. Because I know that that's that's important to a lot of people, but uh, they get lost in, in translation when you try to just push your hardest. So here we go. First, our subjective for the week is if you were looking back at your younger self, what advice would you give to yourself in regards to running? So I do want to pose this to you all. Um, David, we'll start with you. Um, if you were looking back at your younger self, maybe your high school self, what sort of advice would you give yourself now? Yeah, looking back on things, uh, I think I did a pretty good job of having fun, being relaxed, and and enjoying the experience up until my senior year. And so I started getting pretty decent. I think my I think my junior year, I think I ran like I don't know four twenty four. I think in the mile, and like I I, bro- I was consistently under ten. I was running. 1530-ish probably in cross country. And so things were starting to click, you know, made all league for the first time. And then going into senior year, I just remember like I kind of put a little bit of pressure on myself and I felt like this need to like 
come out and run fast from the get-go. And that worked for Cross <laughs> for about half of the season. <laughs> I mean, well, I still won the league championships that year, but I didn't um, I, I didn't do as well into the CIF rounds, you know, as I would have liked to have done. And I remember I had a lot of, um, I don't know, I, at that time, I think the pressure led to insecurity and I started running with people, like not doing my race, not executing how I wanted to do things. And I started playing into the bigger circle. Like, well, if they're going to make it, I know they're going to make it. So if I just run with them, then I'll make it. But they have their own strengths. I have my own strengths. And I didn't do that as well. And I, I didn't stay true to myself. Um, and I think a lot of that came with putting pressure individually on myself. Like, no one put that pressure on me. You know, that was all personal pressure I put on myself. And I think that did leak into track. I did have some injuries. I, I didn't run as well my senior year as I did my junior year. Um, on the track, but I, I think just continuing to relax and enjoy and have fun. I think there was also a little bit of pressure on me as well. Um, we'll talk more about this stuff later, but I didn't really come from a running family. I come from a baseball family and I played baseball all the way up into high school. I had every single intention of playing baseball. And, um, the, really the only reason why I started running in high school was so that I could just get in shape for baseball. That was kind of like how that started. And you have to be in shape for just baseball? in general. Yeah. Just good shape running. Like, <laughs> You're just kidding. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, <laughs> but I'm kidding. Yeah. Sorry. Baseball. People. <laughs> but then spring season came around and I decided to stick with it and it was, um, it's a big decision. So I think I felt like an extra amount of pressure. Like, well, I left the sport that I played my whole life for this one. And so I should probably do pretty good in this one. And I think it worked up until a certain point and then it kind of came, it didn't come crashing down, but it, it could have been smoother. And I think I could have enjoyed that last year a little bit more. Yeah. Andrea, what about you? Hmm. Um, well, I've been running like almost my whole life. Like I started doing like races with my dad when I was four or five. So <laughs> By the time I was in sixth grade, I was actually training with the high school team, um, mostly because of where I was going to school at the time. They let junior high kids train with the high schoolers. and Oh, sure. You know, they kind of gave me as a sixth grader permission to run with them. Um, so I was really fast, really young. And, you know, I did well in races. And I think as I got older, like even... I think probably like freshman year of high school, same thing. Like you just put a lot of pressure on yourself to continue to place the way that you did when you were younger, but maybe you don't realize that, oh, now you're racing against like 18 year olds and maybe you shouldn't have the same expectations that you did when you were younger. So I wish I hadn't put so much pressure on myself. Um, I, I definitely burned out. I actually took a year off of running uh, my junior year and swam instead just because I needed a break from it. Um, so, and it wasn't like anyone else was putting pressure on me, but just it's so easy to put pressure on yourself to do well. Um, I wish that I had known how to deal with that better. And then the other thing I really wished that I had done better or had more information about was just nutrition. Like, I don't remember eating anything like before practice ever. And, you know, we were running pretty long workouts, both for track and cross country. Like, 
I just wonder how much different like my response to training would have been if I was properly fueled or like had any idea what I was doing with regards to like recovery or nutrition. Um, I definitely remember that we always ran our easy runs way too fast. And same thing, like I know now how important that is, but back then we just went out and ran like whatever pace we wanted to run. Um, So I hope through this episode we can get some of that information to parents and coaches and maybe the few high schoolers that listen to this podcast um, (laughs) and help impart our wisdom on them so they don't make the same mistakes that we did. Yeah. I'll go next and then Matt, you can follow me. I, like I said, I'd have not, I did not run um, in high school, but wrestling was my sport from the time I could stand up. My dad put a singlet on me. He was the, uh, he was the head wrestling coach. And so I, I grew up in that. And similar to you, Andrea, I was practicing with the high school team I mean, I, w- I was practicing with them when I was in like first and second grade, but I was actually wrestling like with them, you know, when I was a little bit older and heavy enough to kind of do that. But um, I would say similar to both of you, common thread that's come has been that level of pressure. Running is unique in that it's pretty objective um, that if you run a certain time, you can win the race. And if you're like 20 seconds slower than that, you're probably not going to go win the race. And so you have this kind of like, metric for yourself wrestling in some ways is similar like there's no guess on who won there's no like who's the better soccer player on the on the pitch you either beat the guy on the mat or you don't that day and I think what I would do is I would dig into all of the rankings that the Wisconsin you know there was this website that put all the rankings and then I would put it in my head where I lined up with these people and if they had some arbitrary ranking from some random guy that meant a lot to me and it would really change who I was and how confident I would be going out there. Similar to what you were talking about, David is like, I wrestled to them. I didn't wrestle as myself. Um, and so I think in a similar way, I would, I would say, figure out who I was and just block out the noise and, and just go enjoy the sport um, and have fun with it. Matt, what about you? I would probably have an extended discussion with myself on several things that, that all of you have talked about. I think one of the big things would be, how the body actually adapts to training that one of the biggest, I mean, I was very similar to not quite Nathan, but almost where you were, where I was running early in like high school, probably sophomore years where I really started, but I wasn't competitive. I didn't know what that was. And I remember coming to my coach or my, the high school cross country coach who was my bio teacher going, I'm running like three hours a day. And I have a, I think a stress fracture. Do you have any idea what I should, I should do? And he's like, do you know what cross country is? And I'm like, oh, what's that? <laughs> So I kind of like was a, I was a late start and was very aggressive into my training because I really was high school and then college and aggressively ramped things up to the point where I thought that the only way to get faster was to run 100 miles a week. Um, and I would echo what David and Andrea said in terms of the pressure that I put on myself and then definitely nutrition, sleep, understanding how the body actually adapts to training is the, probably the biggest thing I would have talked about. I would have talked and given advice on making sure you're well-rounded in terms of understanding the importance of doing strength training, the importance of balancing the pace on your easy run, and helping helping my younger self understand kind of a longer-term mindset. Instead of going, well, I'm going to run 100 miles a week right now every single time, do all this stuff. It's like, now, nah, like, what, what does this look like five, 10 years from now? What are your goals and what, how realistic are those and how do you actually attain those from a 
appropriate smart training perspective. Now, granted, my stupid training is what me got it got me interested in PT because I was like, well, <laughs> I'm training like a moron. I wonder if I can try to keep myself healthy. And, unfo- and fortunately or unfortunately, was able to do that and continue training at a way h- higher level than I should have been. But now, years later, the the understanding how long the body takes to really adapt, why nutrition and sleep is important. I wish I had known that when I was younger, um, but hindsight is twenty twenty. So again, to reiterate, what does smart training mean is probably the biggest thing I would sit down and talk to my younger self about. Oh yeah, just to add one more thing into this, I think looking back on things as well, is that component of it being fun. It's like every, everything is fun until it isn't. <laughs> when things start getting more serious and the pressure starts ramping up and all that, it's like, you kind of have to think about like, why am I doing this in the first place? And it's like, oh, I was having fun doing this. Like, I should enjoy this. I should have fun. <laughs> yeah. And I think just having that lighter philosophy too, going into some of those races, those were thinking back on it. Those were all my best races. It wasn't the races that I was headstrong going into them. Like, I'm going to do this, this, and this. So, just valuing the experience and having fun. It's when you kind of let you let go and you go. Just enjoy what what the sport is for what it is. Great. Well, what we're going to do next, um, we're going to move into discussions on what are the impacts of early sport specialization. And to do that, I'd also, before we start the full conversation, is just to remind you all where we're coming from. So all of us are doctors of physical therapy we have a background in a lot of rehabilitation science, um, in like pathology and kind of epidemiology of different types of injuries. And so that's where we sit. That's the perspective that we bring to the conversation. Um, and so what we're going to be able to do is bring you through what the literature says about this topic and then just try to give some practical tips um, and some things that you can think about if you are if you are one of these athletes or you coach these athletes or you know one of these athletes, just practical ways to um, take this knowledge and, and make it useful. So First, I'm going to kick it over to Andrea, and I'm going to just have you, if you can, just give us an idea of when we say sport specialization and we put the tag early on it, can you just give us a kind of an idea of what that means? So early sport specialization means an athlete's participating in just one sport nearly year-round, often on multiple teams. And I think we all can think of a lot of patients and maybe friends whose kids do this, and There are a variety of reasons why parents or kids might feel the need to specialize early in a sport. There's a lot of pressure to, you know, get into college, get a scholarship, um, go pro, whatever. But there's a lot of evidence that suggests that athletes who end up getting college scholarships and athletes who end up going professional in their sport actually waited longer to specialize in that particular sport as compared to people who do not get a college scholarship or go professional. Um, The American Academy of Pediatrics has actually released some really helpful guidelines regarding early sport specialization, and they really emphasize that if somebody is going to specialize in one sport, It should be done later, which they term like late adolescence, so like around age 15 or 16. Of course, that varies depending on the individual. Um, And they recommend this not only because it's better for the individual in terms of health, 
but it actually may lead to a higher chance of that athlete accomplishing their goals of getting a college scholarship or racing professionally. It's a huge, it's a, it's very countercultural to, to think about doing that right now in the current way that athletics work, because at least in, in our town here, if you're going to do baseball, starting at age six, they start doing kind of skills assessments and they grade you based off of how well you can ground the ball, how far you can throw it, how you hit it. And then they start getting you involved in these winter programmings and spring programmings and then summer ball and then stuff in the fall. So um, and, and, and it's not different for, for things like running. The running scene in Stevens Point is very uniquely good, <laughs> um, for, especially for just like where we are. Um, the, the coaches who are here have been there for 40 years and they're fantastic. I know them really well. And so the running culture here is really strong. And so I, it, because of that, I get to interact with and talk to a lot of these kids and to take time off when I, when I ask them, so what does it look like for you? What do you, when you finish the season, what do you do? Is that, they're like, well, I take a week off. Yeah. I take time off. I take a week off. I'm like, okay. And then what do you do? And they're like, yeah, then I'm running 50 miles a week still through the winter and through the summer, um, between track and cross country. And so, um, when, you know, you talked about a majority of the years that sports specialization and in a lot of the studies that look at this is when special specializers are coined as people who perform their sport more than nine months of 12 out of the year. And so that means that if you if you're not taking three months off, four months off out of a year, you're a sports specializer, three to four months of time to do something not running related. That's a long time. It's not just a couple weeks to just, oh, I just got to get fresh. Youth athletes need a lot of time off. Um, and so when we talk about, I should, I should say this one statistic, this is one I share with them a lot that was in a study. So these specializers um, who are in a sport more than nine months out of the year, this is runners specifically, um, they're 70% more likely to get injured than those who don't specialize. 70%. That's a huge number just based off of how often you do that sport throughout the year. Um, and if there's a, a, a runner who participates in either soccer or basketball, they reduce their risk of a bone stress injury by 60 to 80% as well. Um, and so I kind of want to go into those sort of statistics about why does sport specialization in running lead to such a high increase in injury risk? Matt, what do you got for us? I think you'd actually like it's kind of the low hanging fruit right here is that running is one of those sports where there is it's a high level of force and stress compared to a lot of other sports. Right. So and it's it's repetitive and, and that's what's different. Whereas there's going to be sports where you're going to get very high loads very acutely. But the problem is they're often very short. Right. Be it basketball, be it baseball. You have rest periods running. You don't really have respirates you might during intervals but you're still going for longer periods of time and your accumulated load i would argue is going to be a lot higher the challenge is is that and i think we've talked about this before on some of the podcasts we've talked about bone stress injuries and stuff like that is that bones really only adapt for the first couple minutes of your running and then after that they don't really get much more but the problem is they need time to recover so especially in a in growing bodies that don't have bones that are muscular or skeletal systems that have kind of fully matured and don't even have muscular systems that have fully matured 
taking some time to balance is really important. And I think what people might be panicking about, and especially if you told me this as a high school athlete and even a college athlete, I'd be like, what? Taking time off? No. it's I think where people are getting lost is taking time off can also mean doing a different sport, right? Building what what we would look at as overall athleticism, which I think is another conversation, but is something that often gets lost of what you should be doing with the kid, right? I'm about ready to have one. This is what I'm thinking about is how do you build overall athleticism without making them hate this? So yeah, Matt, Matt's going to put yeah, his kid on like young. a crawling regiment. It's like no, I, I he can not. only run a certain number of you know yards I, for. I'm not. And I've I've done pediatrics both clinical by the clinical rotation and then clinically afterwards. People, PT students often ask, hey, can I use these motor patterns we talked about to make this go faster? No, you can't. The kid's going to go at their own rate. If they're behind, you can help them get up to speed, but you can't make them superhuman. They will do their own thing. Yeah. Unless you're Tiger Woods' dad and you have him watch you hit 500 balls a day in the garage, you know, like for the first 10 months of your life. Have you guys read his book? I have not, no. I haven't either, but I have a friend who did, and they told me about it. <laughs> Solid start. <laughs> <laughs> no, but back to this. So, listeners, we do, <laughs> other than that book, we do read the research that we cite before we come on here, oh, I promise. It's true. Um, but, Matt, you were talking about repetitive nature. Andrea, can you talk about, um, you know, repetitive, or David, I guess. I can pitch this to either of you, whoever wants to take this question. But the idea of some people, when they're like our age, we're all like in our 30s, 40s. Um, what, you know, what's the difference between us running year round and a high school athlete running year round? I, I can, yeah. I was actually going to add on to some of the stuff we were talking about. Oh, earlier, you love to do that. Was my initial. You should. Yeah. We can come uh, back to the question. I think one thing unique as well about the. Um, youth athletics specifically and looking at running is it's it's not a very variable load either it's very repetitive nothing changes it's very cyclical it's constant loading when you take a look at basketball baseball football tennis i'm trying to think of like pretty much every other main sport volleyball Volleyball. across um high school athletics uh the movement patterns vary widely it's not the same thing over and over and over again you might cut, you might pivot, you might stop, you'll accelerate, you'll decelerate, and you might have longer bouts of running as well, like with soccer, things like that. And so bone, tendon, uh, muscle health, everything, it's getting loaded in different ways, and that's much more of a healthy system for a young body to be exposed to outside of just the repetitive bone stress side of things. I would also add to that um, one of the benefits of those sports besides running basketball, soccer, softball, baseball, the load you're putting on your bone is different. When we run, we're generally running forwards in, you know, let's say road running, track and field, um, cross country, you're doing a little bit of lateral movement, but not a lot. But when you're playing basketball, when you're playing soccer, yeah, you're running a lot, but you're also doing a ton of side to side movement as well. And bone responds to the direction of stress that you put on it. So when if you only run forwards, your bone is responding to that type of stress. But if you're doing a lot of cutting, you're stressing your bone in different directions. And that's going to help your bone build up stronger in different planes as compared to someone who only runs in a forward direction. And that can improve your overall bone health 
but it can also make you a more well-balanced athlete, getting back to what Matt was talking about with general overall athleticism. It's not good to just practice your sport. That makes you a very narrow athlete in terms of what you're good at. But if you have a huge base in terms of not only cardiovascular fitness, but strength, proprioception, um, movement awareness, that's going to make you better at any physical activity that you do. So there are benefits to doing more than just running um, beyond what we're talking about here today, which is in regards to youth. Even for old people like us, um, varying what we do in terms of our activity is good for our overall health and can potentially reduce our injury risk. I feel like a lot of people are going to hear you say old people like us mm-hmm. and they're going to be like, you guys, <laughs> you young guns. <laughs> I'm thoroughly offended as someone who studies master's runners and they just told a 70-year-old he's still young because he looks like he's 40. <laughs> That's crazy. And he like runs like one too. I think the other the other thing to just keep in mind um, is that these are you know when you're in high school you are not skeletally mature um, you still have a lot of bone development going on your bones are not at their highest density yet that doesn't happen until like 25 to 30 um, and so you don't have the strongest bones in the world in the first place and so if you're not doing a sport that has what Andrea and everyone was talking about with that has multi-directional loading to promote bone growth. You're going to be doing, if you do just running, you're not building bone health. Um, And so that kind of goes back to that statistic that we talked about with such a high incidence of bone stress injuries in sports specializers who run. And that's because they're not participating in sports that help actually lay down bone. Um, And there's obviously more than just... um, just sports specialization that plays into this injury risk, and we'll go into those things. But if you are specializing in running, you're not getting the loads that help you actually skeletally mature. And at the same time, I hope what you don't hear us saying is don't specialize in running, go specialize in soccer. Um, That also isn't good for you. Um, So just, just keep that in mind as well. Matt, you got something? I I would say, yeah, I want to emphasize what you just said is our goal is not to scare you away from running. Obviously, the goal is to go, all right, we've got a youth athlete. What is the best way to make sure that they're successful, enjoy the sport and don't get sidelined with injuries? Because no one wants to experience that, right? That's that's kind of the goal is how do we keep you consistent? Because the best way to improve is actually to stay consistent. That said, we know there's some higher risk of bone stress injuries in those who specialize in running. We also know there's a very interesting study that was done a couple years ago that they screened, they, they used emergency rooms to screen youth athletes like high school athletes coming in and seeing what sports had the highest incidence of injuries overall from a variety of stuff and guess what made up a quarter of all high school sport related injuries showing up to the er running so that was the highest one so running has a higher injury risk right the types of injuries are going to be different compared to other sports but that said being able to go hey these are we're trying to help you and maybe reduce some of those those risk factors. And one of it is being really careful with when you're young, how focus how how much are you specializing? Or are you allowing the kid, if they want to, to kind of try a variety of things? Again, going back to trying to build athleticism and overall fitness and functioning, you know, maybe having a little fun, heaven forbid. I think one of the hard things for athletes who are in high school in taking time off. So for, and this is speaking to those who do sports specialize, which is actually a high, 
unfortunately, like a very high percentage of people. Um, the, one of the biggest fears for these kids as I've interacted with them is I don't, I have big goals for my running. I don't want to lose my fitness. I want to be able to perform. So I guess my next question is kind of two pronged for y'all and it's what is best practice? How would you recommend best practice to parents, to coaches, to these athletes? And how, how do you go about actually communicating that message in a way that's effective? Um, and yeah, how, how do you go about that communication side of things? Because that is, how do, how do you get buy-in, I guess, is my question from the athletes. Andrew, do you, you have for starting on that one? Yeah, sure. So if you think about a high schooler who does cross-country and track, so you, let's start with this time of year. Track season is ending. The school year's almost over. So a lot of these track athletes are probably either super motivated from the great results they got this year or super motivated from the not so great results they got this year. And they're like, I'm going to hit it hard this summer. I'm going to get so fit for cross country. But the most important thing to do right now, once your track season is over, is actually have a recovery period where you're not training. Now, does that mean like lay on the couch all day when school's out? No, but don't run. Maybe go ride your bike or go hiking. Or if you like going to the gym, do the elliptical, like still do something. Make sure it's at a low intensity. You know, don't say, oh, I'm taking some time off track. So I decided to go do all of the HIIT workouts at the gym. That's not letting your body recover. So first, you've got to give yourself a recovery period where you're actually letting your body recover. And then in the summer, yes, you need to run, but you shouldn't be running the mileage that you're running at the peak of your track or cross-country season. You should be looking at it as how to build a base. And I think that a lot of high school athletes could benefit from continuing to cross-train during the summer. So including some bike riding, I'm very partial to bike riding, as I'm sure you guys <laughs> noticed. Um, swimming, elliptical, again, just other modes of cardiovascular exercise that let you get some volume in, but don't make you 100% reliant on running. And we're going to talk a little more about strength training, but the summertime is the perfect time to start a strength routine because it's not going to interfere with your competition. It, you have more time because you're not in school. So add that in, but again, after you've had that recovery period, not the first week off after track season. Uh, as far as like getting buy-in from parents and athletes too, I think just reinforcing that like doing these little things will only help your next season. And so I actually think of it from the flip side about all the people that have track and field as their secondary sport. I look at the football players. I look at... <laughs> whether the soccer players, like they'd say, go do your season here, then go learn how to run fast and track, come back next fall, and we'll be even better coming off the line. We'll even be better with this, that, you know, power development, movement development, whether they're on the line and then they go and they start doing throwing, they start doing other things. So just use it, learning how to use your body in different ways while still having a rest from your main sport. Because, I mean, obviously we're biased to the running side of things, but I think a large majority of people that are running in high school, it's not their primary sport. I, I'm, I'm willing to go out and say that. Um, until they make that decision for themselves, usually as upperclassmen, you know, but for the most part, it's a secondary sport for a lot of people. And I think looking at 
looking at that from a big picture standpoint, when you're talking to a parent or an athlete, just reinforcing that, like by doing all of these things, it will only make you better, not just in your main sport, but also in this one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really, for those sports specializers, the running specializers, that's a potent um, example because it's so common for a football player to go do a different sport for a season. And and that's just, like, oh yeah, they do that to get ready for, you know, oh, they'll do wrestling to get ready for, that was common with wrestling. It's like the football players will wrestle so that they can work on stuff for football, but they're not playing football during wrestling season. They're just wrestling. And so the same, and I, I love that analogy. That's really good. Matt, what do you got? I think what I would add on to all this is when talking to the parents going, okay, again, what do you want out of this, right? What does the kid want out of this? If you really want to be serious about this, the old concept was, that was you just got to run yourself into the ground. We know that doesn't work. We have lots of evidence, both actual research evidence, and we also have anecdotal evidence that people will burn out. These are the same people that maybe never run after high school or they never run after college, right? That if you really want to be successful, again, athleticism and skill development is how you want to approach this. And also understanding both on a micro level and a macro level how the body actually responds to training, right? So there's this concept called supercompensation. That is how we get better. When you, you're you at a certain level of fitness, you do a workout. So this is micro level. You do a workout, you beat yourself up, right? You actually lose fitness, right? It's your, the time when you actually recover and adapt to that, if you give your body a time to adapt, that you actually go back up and you have a small gain in fitness, right? And so this cycle is how you get better within a season, but the same concept also applies on a macro level in years, right? So if you have this period where you are constantly working, 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 working you're going to start to go head down this way and eventually you got to take a break. And if you don't, you're going to keep going down. You see this a lot in high school and college athletes that start out really good. And then for like, why are they getting worse? What's going on? There's other variables, but you've got to allow even a little recovery so their body can actually get that a potential to improve fitness. And that's where, again, the summer is in winter. This is a great period to go, you know what? If you were doing another sport, right, like football, you would go take a break so you can have a little mental break from this. You're exposing your body to different forces. You're working on different skills. So Andrea had some great ideas going, do some cycling, do some other things that allow you to build volume without killing yourself while you still add running in and work on running as a skill. But it's also the best place to add stuff like a heavy thing of strength training. We know that strength training is one of the few things that decreases injury risk. It also, I would argue, improves your capacity for training, right? Because the stronger you are, the more you might be able to handle. That said, you need to add that in during non-competition phase because if you add too many variables in while you're going super hard on one skill, you're probably going to get hurt. So the summer is a perfect time to go, hey, how do I build a foundation? And I think we our understanding of what a foundation looks like, the base training, has definitely evolved. So again, going back to talking to parents and kids going, if you really want the most out of this, here's what evidence in the last 100 plus years of ex- coaching experience and evidence has shown in terms of how, what does peak performance look like? It may not be doing the same thing all the time. Yep. And on, the, on top of strength, um, there's evidence that shows that jumping programs like plyometrics improve running economy by like 2% um, over even a six to eight week jumping program. So that's a great off-season thing to work in as well. Um, so I kind of have like a little list of things that I talk to the coaches in our area about. Um, who knows if they fully are on board with me, but we have a really good relationship. So we get to have these conversations. I kind of have three pronged 
like advice that they can give that their athletes. One is that I advise them to have their athletes take a real off season, go take three to four months out of a year off of running and then say at the same time, and in that time, they should participate in a multi-directional sport, whether that's officially with your school or a club, or if it's joining like a summer ultimate Frisbee league, like whatever it is, I say, so you should have them take three to four months off during the year. They should participate in a multi-directional sport. And then on the flip side, you don't want them to do nothing leading up to cross country season because you're going to jump into cross country season and get hurt because your body hasn't been used to running. So the evidence shows that you can reduce the, the athletes who did eight weeks of base mileage training prior to cross country season had the lowest amount of injuries in comparison to those who did um, less than eight weeks. So I say that during the summer, your athletes should participate in base training without workouts, just base slow mileage for eight weeks leading up to the cross country season. And our, um, our, our school in Stevens Point has an awesome summer running program, and so they do that part really, really well, if not too much running. Um, but don't tell them I said that over the podcast. I don't know. They probably don't listen to this. Uh, anyway, uh, but so I, those are the kind of the three things. It's take a real off-season, participate in a multi-directional sport, and then build a base during the summer. A little bit tangential to this um, are two other common mistakes that I see with uh, with these high school runners. The first one is with usually the high performers, um, and that's that they just want to get really, really high mileage um, in. And the they've shown that high school runners who are in the upper quartiles, the top fourth, um, or is that the right? Yeah, the top fourth of, of runners in terms of mileage, they're at two times the injury risk of everybody else. So having too high of mileage can double your injury risk. And so especially during the off season, you want to back yourself way, way, way down. Um, The second mistake I see is with the non-super high performers, and it's with like everybody else. Like the team here has like 60 to 80 runners. And so like it's everybody else is where I see this mistake happening. And their easy runs, they all just run together. And so the easy run for the top varsity athlete is the same pace that the like ninth guy on JV is, is running. And that just isn't their true easy run. And so it's so common, as we see with adults as well, but pe- these kids are just training too hard. Um, and so somehow if you're a coach, to normalize somehow spreading out in pace groups or teach them RPE as a way to say, hey, on this easy run today, you can't go over a four out of 10 on the RP and help them understand what that is. I think that could be a really helpful way um, to, to get your athletes and stay healthy. Cause a lot of the ones that get hurt are actually these middle of the pack kids. And I think it's because they're just running way too fast often. And that's, again, that's in my area with kind of the, kind of the culture of the team here. So um, those are kind of some other mistakes that I see um, before we move on. Is there anything else that you guys want to add on to this conversation? You know, just thinking about what you said about uh, the importance of an eight-week base period, I think that's particularly important considering how fall cross-country practice normally starts out. I don't know if it's any different than it was when I was in cross-country, but we started out with two-a-day practices for two weeks. And we did intervals right off the bat, um, you know, intervals in the morning before school and then a longer run after school. So if an athlete came into the start of the year without a base, you're just setting yourself up for injury. So 
that could be a question of, well, is that the appropriate way to start out practice? Or is it just that much more important that the coaches communicate with anyone who's going to be on the cross-country team the importance of having a base? And I think this is the case everywhere, but in Illinois where I was in school, you're not allowed to have your coaches around in the summertime. Like you can't have official practice. So coaches need to do a good job of communicating with their athletes what's expected of them over the summer because they're not officially allowed to be involved with their training during the summertime. I, I would say, just reflecting, this this is phenomenal information. What I don't want people to take away is that we're telling you not to run during the summer, right? So it's that, that base training is still really, really key. What base training looks like, I think, really needs to, to evolve going, yeah, you probably, should, probably shouldn't be hitting hard intervals, right? You should ask yourself, what is the purpose of what you're doing right now? Is you're prepping your body to be able to handle what you're going to ask of it during the competition and the in-season in stuff, right? Just where you start getting faster intervals, harder stuff, right? So make sure that the summer is a time to build, but just make sure you're building from the right period, which still means you're going to need a break after the last season, right? If you did track, you're probably going to need a, you're going to need a break to make sure your body can get ready for what you're going to ask of it then you need to make sure the base building, you have to build appropriate volume and do what you got to do to make sure it's ready to handle the competition phase. And then again, just keep going from that period and asking yourself, what is the purpose of what we're doing right now? And how do we get the most out of that without creating injuries or risk factors? So I kind of want to transition us, unless David, do you have something? Because usually it's after I ask the next question that you have something you want to say. Mm, You're also in high school. Chill, relax. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> totally. Um, so let's let's transition. So we just kind of had this whole block talking about early sports specialization. Ultimately, it's not worth it, both from an injury perspective and from a performance p- perspective. And that's performance even independent of injury. So you get double bang for your buck if you can stay healthy and um, in- improve your performance. Um, so we're going to transition from that realm into this other realm of common running injuries we've seen, we see in high school athletes, um, as well as starting to talk about some other tips regarding nutrition and recovery and things like that. So does anybody want to kick us off in terms of the common common injuries that we're seeing with, with these athletes? A lot of overuse injuries. <laughs> yeah. Just failure to uh, to recover. I mean, everything from stress reaction, stress fracture to tendonitis and pretty much everywhere you know whether it's achilles patellar hip i mean those are probably the most common things i see coming through yep i'd agree with that i would say just i mean this is not a scientific sample but i think uh knee pain is probably the most common pain that i see in youth runners i i will say from the evidence uh having looked at this and had to compare this and this was a side thing of me getting distracted from my dissertation because I was looking at average running population versus masters and this some of the stuff with the average running population gets a little bit more tense in youth athletes so obviously a lot of bone related stuff is really common stress fractures that stuff but then you've also got your common ones that are also very common with runners in general right your um I don't want to – why am I blanking? I don't want to say shin splints. I want the real word uh, or phrase. Um, medial tibial stress syndrome. Yeah, medial – thank you. Medial tibial stress syndrome is really, really common. 
Um, and then patellofemoral stuff is also really, really common. There's ones less uh, to a le- Those are kind of the big ones that you'll see. Um, you will definitely, from the evidence, also see stuff like IT band that's really, really common. Um, in the younger people, you'll st- also see Ajgood slaughters or the – I'm having a really hard time thinking today. The uh, – um, uh, Sievers. Uh, cal- Sievers disease, yes. The calcaneal uh, and bursitis stuff. Um, are, are really common. And then following that, you get more of your muscular related strains, hamstring, quad, which aren't as common, but that's kind of your more popular, not more popular, your more common. These are the fun ones to get, um, more popular, I said again, more common to your less common, but you'll see a wide range in the youth athlete. Yep. I think, um, you guys, you guys have hit them. The, the common ones, like this patellofemoral pain, IT band syndrome, those are all um, common among youth athletes and then adult uh, youth runners and adult runners. The higher ratio in running for or in running injuries for these youth athletes come a lot of times with bony structures. Um, that's like where those ratios start to change a little bit. So that's we've kind of talked about um, a bit with the. Um, bone stress injuries and all that kind of stuff. The other one that I see clinically is not necessarily full-blown like Osgood slaughters or Seavers, um, but whether if it's in the calcaneus in the heel, up at the, um, up in the tibia, or even up by the ASIS, so up in the pelvis, I'm just getting what's called apophysitis. So the epiphyseal plates aren't fully closed yet. And so they can just get irritated and inflamed. So often where that tendon is pulling on the epiphysis, they just get irritated. And so sometimes it just takes like a week or two where you have this really severe pain that's not reacting like a tendon, seems more like a bone, but it's not definitely not a bone stress injury, but just based on things. So this is a lot of times in like the sprinters and jumpers that I work with. So they get a lot of these like hip flex, it seems like a hip flexor strain, um, but it's actually um, the, the epiphysis up at the pelvis there. And that just, it takes, it's a bugger and it just takes a little bit of time to let it calm down and you can't do the loading program like you would for a tendon injury. And so those, it's nice to have a PT in your corner for things like that to differentiate between if it's epiphysitis or if it's, you know, an actual tendon injury. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about recovery. Um, so we had a recovery episode did we record that last week? I think we recorded it last week um, with Ryan Wooderson. I think a lot of the, the wisdom from there could flow into this conversation. But um, within recovery, he kind of has the big three or four. He talks about nutrition, sleep, stress, um, and managing those things. So when it comes to youth athletes, how should we think about nutrition? How should we think about sleep? What sort of advice do we have for, for these athletes and what are the impacts of not taking care of those things if you're actually trying to run competitively or just stay healthy for a whole season? Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, and this, these are such tough ones because I. how many of you had perfect nutrition and sleep growing up, right? Like you're a kid, right? You're doing – you're up late. You're up, for me, I was either reading too late because I was a nerd or you have other people that are actually out enjoying their lives like normal people unlike me. You know, you're doing stuff, you're exploring, you're kind of figuring out right versus wrong and that kind of stuff. So it's also the same thing with nutrition, right? It's the classic when you're younger, you can seem to eat whatever you want and you're like, well, I'm just going to, you know, or, and you don't really think, hey, how, what the, what effect might this have on me? Because 
you're not worried about like an increase in weight because your metabolism is high enough and you're already running and moving around enough. You don't really think about what a full nutrient profile looks like, what, why sleep is so important. But the problem is as a young, a young person, you actually need more sleep, right? And kids often there's, there's some good research. Kids frequently do not get the recommended amount of sleep that they need for growing bodies, right? So we already know kids don't get enough sleep. When you're an athlete, you need even more, right? Because your body is not only needing to recover from just growing and being a young person. Now you've added stress you have to recover for from. And then there is the nutrition part where you need to be eating adequate amounts. And unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff, especially in the running world, about what you might need to look like, where you need to be a certain weight or need to look a certain way. And people may get focused on that when realizing you're burning a ton of calories, even when you're just sitting there and being able to optimize that and making sure you're eating enough so you can recover. Because if you don't, you're going to get hurt and sleeping enough because if you don't, you're going to hurt or you're just going to feel terrible. So that's one of the fun things about working with um, younger athletes is you, if you can get them on sleeping well and eating better, they're like, wow, I don't feel like crap all the time. Who would have ever thought? And you're like, yeah, I, oh, yeah, I'm glad you realized this. This is good. <laughs> Same totally. thing with adults, by the way. So I can't yeah. judge. <laughs> wow. I don't feel like crap anymore. It's like, yeah, I think, if you sleep enough and you eat enough, that's kind of what happens. I think nutrition for high schoolers is hard because either they or their parents have to pack them a healthy lunch to take to school or they're relying on whatever their school offers. And again, it's been a while since I was in high school, but thinking about what the school sold, there weren't a lot of healthy choices there. And it was really easy to make unhealthy choices that were also delicious, but not the best for pre, you know, workout three hours later. So I think kids just getting like basic information about, okay, Here's what your lunch should look like in general if you have practice that day, like carbs, protein, you know, maybe some vegetables, avoid junk food. Um, like it doesn't have, we don't have to turn kids into like dietitians, but I think giving them basic info so they can make smart choices can be helpful. Um, I'm glad Matt hit on just how important it is to consume enough calories because I think the pressures on kids now from so many different ends to look like a runner, which is ridiculous, um, can put people down the path of disordered eating. And of course, we know that that can lead to injury and burnout and all sorts of problems. Um, but hopefully coaches and parents can spend a little bit of time talking to their kids or their athletes about just basic nutrition stuff. What should you eat before practice? What should you eat before a meet if a meet is on a weekday? How about a meet if a meet is on the weekend? What should your food look like, you know, two hours before the race, one hour before the race? I didn't know any of that stuff. Like, and I honestly don't remember anyone ever talking to me about it. Maybe they did and, you know, teenage me just ignored it. But I think, and of course, it's different now because kids can look stuff up on the internet, um, <laughs> which now I'm really dating myself, so I'm going to stop. Um, but just giving kids general nutrition info can go a long way. I think that there's a there's a there's an opportunity there for, depending on your school district, um, you just hit on the the idea that it's really hard to manage all of this stuff. Like 
think about we just talked about a ton of stuff. It almost sounds like we're just sucking the fun out of this whole sport, <laughs> um, which that's really not our goal. But I, I feel like there's an opportunity here, depending on what, again, what your district is set up like and what kind of booster clubs you have. I think a great investment in your funds that you might raise as a as a team could be used for providing nutrition on days of workouts so like kids can come before practice and there's just granola bars and like just stuff for them to eat um and that they don't have to go out and buy them because we know that even just like for a lot of families getting food or extra food is not possible that's just like not within the possibilities so i think if, if the team can rally together to raise funds to provide nutrition, like the actual food at the right times for them, I think that'd be a great way. Um, and I don't know how I'd have to do the math on how much you'd have to, to save, but I bet there's a way to utilize Costco and, uh, and do a pretty good job getting some stuff that's better than nothing. Um, but Matt, you had something too. Yeah. I, I a good friend of mine who's a sports dietitian, I can't say the name because I also treated them. Um, had some really, really straightforward. <laughs> if, uh, if you wouldn't words have advice. told us, if you wouldn't have told us that you treated him, you could have told us about your friend who's a sports dietitian. Uh, this, this is me being too honest. It's um, fine. No, don't say it now. Can't yeah. now. Anyway, so <laughs> the the word of white advice that he gave was that for a youth athlete, one of your most important, one of the best things you can do is help them develop a good relationship with food, and also to realize that food is something you both enjoy and can be used as a fuel. If you don't eat enough, you're not going to perform well. If you don't in, make sure you're enjoying eating and like have like, you know, a good balanced nutrition, like a nutritional intake, you're also going to hate it, right? So you want to have, you want to have form a good relationship with this stuff because it is what is giving you the energy to do these things. So make sure you're getting enough and make sure you're getting good quality stuff in there. Have a, develop that relationship. And that I think for coaches have, and parents have hopefully heard this a million times, but that means you know, be careful with what you're saying. Oh, we got to restrict this. I remember when I was in high school, um, when, and Andrew, I'm also going to do the same thing you did where we didn't, I didn't have that much access to the internet. So I was relying on all these magazine runners world. And I remember reading this thing that said, you know, as an, as a runner, it was some coach who said, you don't need fat. So if you're going to drink milk, you should only drink like fat free milk. It's really important and all this stuff. And there was no evidence for what they were saying, but I didn't understand that. So I went on this thing where I was like, I couldn't take in, I didn't want to take in any fat because I thought that was going to slow me down. That is not how that works. So be careful with what you say because these very impressionable athletes are listening to everything you say even when you think they are not. So develop – help them develop good relationships with the with food that they're taking in and learn to use it as a tool and as something that's just a normal part of life. Yeah. And I just have – oh, go ahead, Andrea. Well, just uh, adding on to that, not making kids think they have to earn food. Like that's yeah. a really bad path to go down. Food isn't earned. It's something that you need. You don't have to run five miles to get to eat, you know, breakfast. I would say it's the opposite where, hey, you ran five miles. Think about what you might need for adequate recovery, right? How much do you like what extra stuff do you need outside of what your normal basal metabolism is? And don't overthink it, but just go, yeah, throw an extra piece of bacon on there or something like that. That's that's. Fine. Cool. Going back to milk conversation, I have to talk about milk because I live in Wisconsin. Um, and I guess you guys live in California, two of you. So you, you have cows. Um, but kind there's. Of. We have cows. 
Connecticut has plenty of cows. <laughs> our our cows are. De- I mean, I can speak from Southern California and Chino. We're losing our our dairy farms, so it's sad. Yeah. Well, uh, here in Wisconsin, we have happy cows, um, and uh, isn't that that's California's thing? But anyway, um, there's there is research out again. This is going back to kind of bone stress injuries. One cup of milk a day decreased bone. Um, uh, fracture risk in athletes by 62%. And so having things that are supplementing bone health is super important. That's a really easy one. Just start drinking milk. (laughs) Um, a little bit of milk every day. Obviously there, I'm not a, I'm not a registered dietitian and I'm not, you know, that's outside of my wheelhouse, but there are little things that can go a long way. Um, and then the other one we kind of talked about sleep. Um, there was for, for poor sleepers, there was a 5% reduction in bone mineral density in high school runners. And so getting enough sleep, which I think is around 10 hours uh, of sleep a night for high schoolers is pretty important again for like long-term bone health. So, um, which when I was in high school, I was staying up late and playing video games and going to Taco Bell and buying Baja Blast and a Chalupa in, in the uh, middle of winter and then like freezing it onto our friend's windshield. Like that's what we did for fun um, in the middle of winter in Wisconsin. So I did that. I did not get that kind of sleep, um, and I probably should have. But a lot of a lot of easy things that you can do. Getting more sleep during the season, especially, and then there's little dietary changes. One example was milk um, that can go a long way. Yeah. Speaking of sleep, I, I'm thinking of a study I was just reading. I think it was on military recruits, but and bone stress injury. And they found that getting less than six hours of sleep was a major risk factor for developing a bone stress injury. And they then set a rule that, you know, all all military personnel in this group had to sleep at least six hours a night. And it interestingly reduced the rate of bone stress injury. So, you know, we don't always think of sleep as something that can have such a direct effect on injury risk, but like, that's a that's very clear. And of course it makes sense sleep is when our bodies heal and recover from all of the really good training we've been doing. And if you're not getting enough of it then you're not getting that repair that is necessary to allow you to train again the next day. And that too plays into what Ryan talked I don't think you were on the recording with us it's just David and I he was talking about the reset of cortisol levels with sleep. And so resetting things that play into your ability and cortisol has to do with stress. Again, go back and listen to that episode. There's great stuff in there. Um, David, do you have anything? Yeah, chill, move on. relax, have fun. You're in high school. <laughs> the other one I always yes. tell people a lot too is eat a lot, sleep a lot. I'd rather you eat something unhealthy than not eat anything at all. We're talking about it's very true. You know, reinforcing having a good relationship with food and these very impressionable athletes. They're young, they're moldable, they they want to be good. You know, a lot of them they strive to improve. They're seeing objective progress. They're at a time in their life when their body's maturing. Regardless, they're probably going to get a little bit better no matter what. But they start seeing the numbers getting better and they have a lot of internal drive in order to keep improving those. And I think people get very quick to start closing windows. Oh, I have to shut this off. I have to shut this. I have to do this. I have to walk this narrow path in order to be good at something. And like when you were saying about the Taco Bell late nights, shaved ice, 
I, I say go for it every once in a while. Have some fun. You know, like you should be able to enjoy enjoy this. You shouldn't look at Taco Bell and be like, I can't go to Taco Bell because I'm going to lose five seconds off my 5K. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think there's other factors that might be more important. Variables might be more important than that. Yeah, so that that's really my main <laughs> message yes. there. Which goes back, honestly, David, goes back to the first thing of what the advice that we give our young selves. None of us gave any of these very specific things. It was like, chill out and have fun. Take the pressure off yourself. Like if you're thinking about every single bite of food that you take, you're, that's, that's, that's just telling you your, your mental <laughs> stress is just way too high. So good. So I'm going to, I'm going to pose one final question because we are who we are. Um, people do often ask me and have asked us what sort of running shoes should I have if my kid is, or if should I get my, my kid or if I am in high school, what sort of shoes should I run in? What do you think about that? Um, if they're a cross country or track runner, what sort of shoe recommendations do we have for these kids? Or does it differ from what we say for everybody else? Matt, go ahead. I'm actually going to have everybody else start because I'm really curious about that you last had, comment that you made. You had your hand up. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but that's, until, I mean, I, that's what I did. <laughs> they're not waiting until the full, the full question was asked. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll go first. I think we talked about this, gosh, it's probably like two years ago we did an episode on what kids should wear. So I think, let's say we're talking about a high school freshman. The first question is, well, is that high school freshman new to running or have they been running for, you know, five years already? If they're new to running, you just want to start them out in a basic trainer. They don't. They definitely don't need a super shoe. Um, they don't need to start out in spikes. They just need a shoe that is comfortable and supports their foot and allows them to run without discomfort. Um, if you have a more experienced runner who's a high school freshman and let's say is running cross country, that runner is certainly old enough to run in spikes, but they need to introduce them gradually, whether they're cross country spikes or track spikes. Um, you certainly wouldn't use them for like the first meet of the year. You would want to use them a little bit in practice to adapt to the mechanics of running in those shoes. Um, I know that in high school track and cross country, there's a ton of kids using super shoes. And I think the answer as to if that is appropriate or not depends on the level of running development that that athlete is at. Um, and in no situation should a anyone, teenager or adult, be doing all of their training in super shoes. I would definitely echo that. And I think Andrew and I, we did a podcast together on this, um, on this conversation. So to reiterate that, I think that, yes, depending on who you are, so your experience level should kind of dictate the, the, the type, the advancement, how advanced of a shoe you're looking at. But regardless of who you are, you do need a basic trainer for the majority of your miles. If you are a beginner runner, you don't need to worry about spikes and super shoes yet. You just need to get used to the act of running. So a, a basic trainer that, again, think of your run cat scale, right? You don't need to have the lightest possible shoe or the most advanced tech. You need to have something that fits well on their foot, that rides really, really well, that feels good in the heel and the forefoot and feels stable enough for that person, right? And that's going to mean different things for different people, okay? Not too much, not too little, just right. And they just need to go out and run and not have and not worry anymore about that. 
your more advanced runner, right? The one who has a lot more experience, same concept where you need a daily training shoe that's going to get you through the miles with something and that's comfortable, right? Something you're going to want to run in, but it cannot be a spike or super shoe for the majority of your mile. You're not going to hopefully do the majority of your miles in a spike. Although, you know what? I actually kind of try to do that. So (laughs) no judgment on that because I'm an idiot. Um, It was the whole minimal thing back in high school, college that I was going, oh, can I just run in spikes all the time? And actually legitimately did that for like weeks on end and then wondered why I had Achilles problems. So if you're more advanced, though, the same concept, right? So if you've been doing a base phase and you've been only running in trainers, it doesn't matter how good super shoes or spikes feel. You you need to ease into them, right? Doing some strides at the end of, of your easy runs in those shoes, kind of getting used to that stuff, slowly easing them in during workouts, right? And then waiting a little bit. So in college, my coach was really good about this. Our first race of the season, we were not allowed to wear spikes. And this is before super shoes. We had to use trainers or lightweight trainers, which being a shoe geek, I knew exactly what I was getting. Um, But, and I would use, you know, I would use racing flats for which were crazy at that time. But we were not allowed to use spikes, and it really helped us ease in and definitely decreased our injury rate. But yeah, it doesn't matter. Even if the super shoes make you feel good, they're, they're, they have some unique effect on your mechanics. And if you're not used to that, any very new stimulus has a potential for irritation. You want to stay consistent. So ease into the more extreme things. Make sure you stay in line with the kind of more, quote unquote, not boring, but you kind of need a boring training shoe for the majority of your miles. Kind of like our beginner runner's guide. Yeah. Um, that's where yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot of similarities when it comes to new runners and high school runners who are also new runners. Um, I don't think that there's any official literature that looks specifically at the interaction of shoes and youth runners, um, to my to my knowledge at least. But I think the other question I often get is, should I get uh, from the parents, is like, should I get them a stability shoe? Um and because they haven't ran before. And I, I, I also don't say yes to that either. Um, Matt, you got something to say. Maybe. Go ahead. So there's some very interesting research that I, I was aware of and had to go find. Um, there is no relationship in youth athletes. So the common test that's used, by the way, to look at quote unquote pronation is the navicular drop test where you kind of have your, you're sitting and you have your feet flat on the ground and you come up to standing and you look at how much your foot drops. Um, and it's been shown actually the same thing with motion analysis stuff. There is not a relationship between navicular drop or pronation and injury rate in youth athlete, right? So a shoe that as a stability shoe is going to work better for those who have a, a history of pronation related injuries like post tib problems or maybe a little Achilles stuff, things like that. But just because you're a new runner doesn't mean you need a stability shoe. Right, and it and just because you pronate doesn't mean that's going to cause you problems. You need to see what fits comfortable. So if you put a stability shoe on, you're like, "Dang, this is comfortable. This feels a lot better than the other ones." Yeah, that might be a good thing, right? But don't be like, don't freak out about like ankle pronation and things like that. You need to find a shoe that's comfortable first. I'd also say don't don't be afraid to buy, um, especially for if you're a, a new if your kid's going out for cross country or track for the first time. Get a shoe that's a year old, get it on sale, or get one of those like $100, uh, $90, $100 training shoes as well. I think those are great options. Test the waters. There's nothing like inherent about those shoes that is going to cause injury. So I would definitely look at, you know, sales from the year before. You can get them a nice pair of shoes for even, 
you know, $60, $70 if you find the right sale. Um, so I, I would definitely, there's nothing wrong with that. And it doesn't make your, your, your kid at, at a disadvantage um, to, to do something like that. Matt, go ahead. I, I would say, and not to throw names out here because nobody's sponsoring this episode that I – these shoe companies are not at all. But Saucony, Brooks, a lot of these companies actually have really solid $100 training shoes that I, we've actually been growing to like really enjoy over the last couple of years. So again, look at those and sales stuff's fine as long as it's a year old. Going beyond a couple of years, you need to be careful because the foams do break down. There is evidence on that. But last year's model – some of these $100 ones are great options if you're just introducing someone to running. Well, we're going to wrap things up. So I think it's only apt that David has our last word. David, oh, yeah, anything, else, anything else Anything uh, else that you want to <laughs> say about this topic? Chill, relax, have fun. You're in high school. <laughs> I ran yes. ES skate shoes for my first week of cross country. Um, yeah, no, just running. Yeah, just running something comfortable. Like you can go to the local running shop. I went to Big Five, I think, for my first pair. You know, it's like <laughs> just run around in it, get a little bit better at the sport, practice it. When you feel like that time is there, I feel like you'll know it internally at that point. You're like, oh, I think I'm ready to like put something on that's a little faster. I I, I want to genuinely start competing at this a little bit more. Then that time is is here. But when you're starting this, just go have fun. You have some new teammates. You're going to have some new friends. And you, there's not a whole lot of expectation at that point anyways. So You're going to be sore all the time, so just expect it. Yeah. You're going to be tired. Enjoy you're going to be hungry. You're going to sleep yeah. a lot. Like <laughs> It's going to be so much fun. Good. Well, thank you to all of you who have been following along on this journey with us, with the podcast. We've seen a lot of growth. And so if you haven't yet, it really does help us out if you jump on um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify and and subscribe and rate the podcast. That'll help us grow and continue to reach more people if you, if you like what we're doing. Um, otherwise, uh, you can check out everything else that we've talked about today, referencing some old podcasts and our new runner guide and all that stuff is on DocSporting.com. So thanks all for this discussion. It was fun having us all together and we'll talk to you all soon. Thank you.